Okay, so the recorder's going, and as always, just you know, for California law purposes, we you know both understand and um, agree that the phone call is being recorded. Yes, sir. Okay, fantastic. So uh, basically, we're welcoming to uh, welcoming back, I should say, uh, Chris Law from Crocodopolis uh, back into the reptile living room. Um, some people kind of got fired up um, over a recent uh, program that covered some reptile responsibility issues and Chris and I discussed it as well as gosh I think I don't even know how many other people were <laughs> ended up involved in that conversation there was a lot of people in that conversation so um, basically Chris brought up some great points well let me say that everybody brought up some great points not just Chris um, but Chris was readily accessible today for an interview uh, we are going to set up a reptile uh, roundtable with Chris and some other, um, shall we say, named individuals that you guys will all recognize once we do bring that show to light. Um, but just for today, we're talking to, like I said, Chris Law from Crocodopolis. So, uh, Chris, I know it's raining out here. How is it uh, where you're at? <laughs> uh, well, temperature-wise, it's not as bad as what it's been the past few days. It's actually pretty moderately temperatured, but uh, we've had overcast all day long. It's just been really gloomy, and I, I don't know. I just don't even want to step foot outside today. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Now, um, one thing before we jump on to the uh, reptiles responsibility topic, um, something kind of um, that I heard about and that I know you were involved in was the uh, recent ac- or attempted acquisition <laughs> at a loose crocodile or alligator in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, this, this particular alligator, um, it, it, the, where it directly came from is hard to say. Whether it came from somebody that couldn't handle it anymore, that it, it could have been. It actually, it's probably the most logical uh, place it came from. Right. But I also heard that a pet store was shut down, and the owner was going to be going to prison or jail or something of that nature. And oh, okay. Uh, it, it, when basically it all came, boiled down to it, instead of trying to find some place to take the animals, he just dumped them in there in the Beaver, Beaver Run Reservoir. Uh, supposedly there was two alligators, and but uh, we only have confirmed sighting of at least one at a time. Okay. And you and a partner went out there and spent the night, uh, at least the night that I know about there. We spent the entire night, uh, and the very next day we basically scoured the entire reservoir. It had about uh, 30 miles of shoreline and about 12 billion gallons of water. Uh, and you got about a three foot alligator at top. So you, this is the uh, this is the proverbial needle in a haystack. Except you don't have the luxury of burning the the haystack down to find the needle. Right. So you know this is one of those situations that it, it takes um, time and very meticulous detail. Right. And we spent the first night going through. We was in a canoe and we very slowly made our our way around the first the northern half where it was last sighted. Uh, around the reservoir, uh, we had lights out. We were shining into the shallows. We got out at different points and walked the uh, shoreline. Uh, we basically uh, did everything that was textbook for an alligator, what it should be doing. And at that at, at that particular time, and with the temperatures they were having, the alligators on borrowed time, it's not going to be moving much. The water's too cold, about 50 degrees. Uh, the alligator's not going to be moving much at all, so we should have been able to find him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a couple things that could have went wrong with that. He could have found a snapping turtle burrow and started trying to make use of it, or he found one of the channels that was attached to the uh, the area where it was last spotted. There's a creek that runs miles from the reservoir. Oh, if he okay. made his way into that, it's, it, it's impossible to find him after that. 
So, you know, since we didn't find them within the most reasonable manner of searching within that first couple of days, it was just it was safe to assume that we've given up search, and I believe that the Pittsburgh Zoo has for, for now as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, if the staff on the, at the reservoir uh, find the alligator and see him again, then they will definitely be giving us a call. So uh, oh, cool. maybe, maybe we'll get that a call and uh, we can get the alligator out of there. That was going to be my next question is, you know, are they going to make sure to give you guys a call versus some, you know, fishing, well, some other individual that's just going to come out and destroy the animal? Because I know that's your mainstay is, you know, rescuing alligators and crocs and making sure that, you know, they get taken care of and go to the right homes or, you know, rehoming them somehow at least. Absolutely. And uh, that's, uh, we, we definitely made sure that they have two numbers on hand. They have uh, basically the croc guy for the Pittsburgh Zoo. He will be the very first call that they make, okay. and then the very second call will be to me. And uh, if the Pittsburgh Zoo will be needing help, if they need an extra set of eyes or whatever the case might be, then uh, we will be glad to make it back out there to the zoo. Awesome, awesome. And of course, you know, talking about how the croc ended or alligator ended up in the reservoir in the first place brings us to our main topic today about you know reptiles <laughs> and responsibility. You know, there's just so much, you know legislation and research papers and you know it seems like everybody and their brother you know wants to jump on the bandwagon and say you know be the top dog and say you know I'm not gonna let this happen and it's really not about you know one individual it's about all of us you know coming together whether we agree with you know legislation or not I think it's pretty much you know in the bag it's gonna happen Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen, and it's going to be, we have two ways that we can handle this at this point. Mm -hmm. We either continue doing things the way we've been doing it, or we can take a step back, look at our situation, find out where we went wrong. Right. You know, it's always very, you know, this is the very first thing that I notice about the exotic animal community as a whole, and, you know, very much so with the reptile community, it's no different. Whenever legislation starts getting passed, the very first place that they want to start passing blame is the legislation and Humane Society of the United States or other animal rights groups. Uh, this is the very first place that they want to address. You know, they're put passing blame on them. Are they involved? Absolutely. Are right. they the main culprit for this? No. Our right. enemy is technically ourselves because we have enacted practices within our community that are creating our problems. And not only are we allowing these problems to be created, we are not working around the clock to clean them up. Right. So if, if we've had ample time, and I do mean ample time, to rectify the issues within our community, but we haven't been. And right. I can give you a, a prime example right here in Ohio. This is the this is a, a number one example that I can give you. We ha- have fought legislation successfully in the state, locally and statewide, for the past ten years. Wow. We have always adopted a just say no mentality. We have always, you know, pounded our fist on the table and said, no, what? no, we're not taking this. But the problem is that in order to, you know, the reason why we've done that is because every time that they try to pass a ban bill, it, it well, they'll, they'll call it, um, you know, regulation, but basically what their requirements are ends up resulting in a ban because practically nobody can meet those requirements. And that is a, a common concern among the exotic animal community, and it's one that you definitely should have. Right. The problem is is that once we get done fighting this legislation, instead of trying to prepare ourselves for the next battle, the next time it has to happen, we're trying to set up something and say, hey, what do we need to do to prevent this from happening? What 
why what should we be doing to prevent another situation like this right instead everybody basically washes their hands of it walks away nothing else get you know happens again until something else happens another ban bill gets introduced and everybody's up in arms again and getting pissed off and then they're you know they're fighting legislation right right you know and you can only go for so long doing that that process without eventually you're going to get caught with your pants down something's not going to go kosher you're not going to be able to respond fast enough get the type of of people involved that you need to have involved and then you're going to lose yeah and this i think is exactly what's happening uh this whole situation in zanesville here was basically the nail in the coffin for ohio right i would have been very very surprised if we did not get any type of legislation enacted in fact i'm i gotta say i'm actually quite pleased with how they're handling it um the, you know regardless of what you might hear from other people they right. are actually trying to find reasonable and sensible regulations in a way that people can still continue to enjoy their animals although i, I hear that primates and big cats <laughs> It might have might be biting the dust for you know in Ohio, mm-hmm. but um, when it comes to reptiles and other animals, they are trying to be fair. They are trying to work with the keepers of those animals, but they're trying to find something sensible. And that's what they were working on before this happened. They they right. they were taking their time. They were trying to find something sensible. They weren't just taking somebody's random write up. It wasn't taking Humane Society of the United States. Uh, sample legislation as they like to call it right and and just passing it as, as a bill that's not what they were doing although they've tried that many times in the past um governor Kasich was not going for that okay. so i have to give it to governor Kasich. He, even despite this happening yes he, he passed the 90-day bill again another executive order but really that's more of a hey look at this hand while i'm doing something else with the other right uh, that's really all that boiled down to. He wanted to let people know he was doing something, and the best way that he's able to do that is to go ahead and pass something like this. Is it really getting enforced? Not really. Is it pissing a lot of people off? Yeah, sure. But that's most people that aren't really paying attention to really what's going on. So ultimately, hmm. we're going to get some uh, legislation here in Ohio. It's probably a good thing, but Governor Kasich is trying to work with people. He is working with Kentucky Reptile Zoo. Uh, we have been, I have been contacted uh, to get my my thoughts on the process, especially in regards to housing crocodilian species. So right. they are trying to get opinions to try to set up something feasible. Huh. Very interesting. Now, the just in case you know, for our listeners that you know, for somehow haven't heard of what happened in Ohio, and you know, this is something that I actually wanted to bring up with you because of the original reports that I read. And forgive me, I forget the gentleman's name who was involved, but Terry, uh, Terry uh, Johnson. Terry Johnson. Okay. Thompson. Thompson. I'm sorry. Thompson. Okay. Terry Thompson. Now, f- the original report that I heard and read on the Newswire, wherever the hell it was, Yahoo News or whatever, said that he went um, he went home, released all these animals, and then, uh, or I'm sorry, was murdered, and then released all the animals, and then within like a couple hours or maybe it was three hours later it was that he went home released all the animals and then committed suicide has there ever been any significant you know police report or something to say that okay he actually committed suicide or was he murdered he definitely committed suicide uh okay i have contact with a couple of the officers that were there on site um he definitely committed suicide he definitely released his animals 
basically, Terry Thompson had a long history of problems. Uh, this is another example of, of where the exotic animal community has failed to police itself. Um, they have raised concerns in that area for a very long time, and nothing has ever been done because in Zanesville, Ohio, there's, there's no laws at all whatsoever. The same way with the state of Ohio. Uh, Terry Thompson had a, uh, had a large menagerie of different exotic animals on his property. Uh, he also had a long history of dealing in illegal firearms and things of that nature, which is actually what he just got released from prison a month prior uh, for doing. Hmm. Uh, but he was going back to prison. Uh, he had another court case that was pending and, and was ready, and he was definitely going to be convicted for that. Uh, his wife, I guess, had basically had enough, and she was filing for a divorce, which basically pushed him over the edge. He did not want her to have any of the property, including the animals. And so he basically knew that if he destroyed the cages, he, he did that, released the animals, and then um, went and shot himself. And that was the end of that. And, of course, I can see why a lot of people would get up in arms and say, hey, you know, no, 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 that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, if you really think about it logically, it, it, it does make a lot of sense. But in this particular case, uh, this was just a, a, this was an unfortunate situation with a very sick individual who decided to, to do a very, uh, how should I put this, a very, you know, irresponsible, I, I would go with, just yeah. because I don't want to take it too far. Right, but, no, uh, not understandable. You know, it, it was very uh, selfish and, and irresponsible thing that he did. Sure. Um, and now we are definitely in a hot seat. And, and it hasn't just started here. I mean, the, pro the biggest problem is, is that not only has this occurred and is creating problems here in Ohio, but it's, this is spreading out. It's now, spreading outwards. You've got North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, and various other states are now like, oh, my goodness, what, can this happen here? Can this happen here? What do we do about it? Yeah, because, and, uh, and I think that to do, you know, not to interrupt you, but to, you know, I think not necessarily to place a blame or, you know, say that, you know, this is what's doing it. I think the media has a lot of responsibility for spreading that kind of fear. Absolutely. You know, and it's um, like, uh, you know, it's like it's almost like yelling fire in a theater. You know, everybody's <laughs> running for, you know, everybody's running for cover, you know, and they don't even know what they're running from. Right, and that's exactly it. And you know what, and it has sparked the news media to go out of the way to, to, to uh, find where are the holes, where are the problems in the exotic animal Just recently we had, <laughs> oh. we had the uh, one... Um, a person in Pennsylvania near Philly that decided, hey, we're going to go in here to uh, this this uh, reptile show, and yeah. we're going to go buy a venomous snake. You so, know, and I'm glad you know. brought that up because, again, you know, and, I, and I'm going to let you finish out before I, you know, sure. <laughs> go on my thing. But I'm really glad that you did bring that up because that was my next topic. Was you know, again, this is another to me irresponsibility in the media recently on the internet that has, you know, again, sparked another controversy, and it's gotten blown out of proportion, and now we've got people talking about, you know, well, I'm not going to let this regulation happen. The hell you weren't. What are you going to do? Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly You're so not. The problem is, is that there was two failures in this particular case. Yeah. Uh, the number one was they allowed these people to actually buy a Cobra. Right. This was the very first failure. And, um, and that's what, you know, you and I discussed that online, you know, a couple of times of, you know, we've talked, we beat this, you know, you and I have personally beat this horse dead numerous times of, you know, when you're selling an animal to somebody, no matter what it is, I don't care if it's a freaking chihuahua 
or you know a king cobra you ask the person have you ever owned one do you know what you're doing you know i mean just have a conversation people it's not right. freaking hard God. That's exactly it. Uh, you know, and this Ugh. is the biggest problem. And this, this, and this is where it really gets interesting, uh, you know, when it comes to fighting for our rights. Well, okay, I'm going to step back for a second. I, I do need to clear one thing up. Okay. These are not rights that we have. Yeah, this, exactly. I don't, care, I don't care what, you know, people's uh, misconceptions are when it comes to this. You do not have a right to keep reptiles. You have a privilege, privilege. to keep reptiles. And it's just like driving a car. I always equate reptiles very similarly to driving a car. Yeah. Driving a car is a privilege that you have. There's nowhere in the, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights that says, yes, you have a right to drive a, ve- a motor vehicle. Exactly. You have the privilege of doing that so long as that you can prove that you can pass your test, you can obtain uh, insurance, and you are capable of maintaining your vehicle safely at all times. Right, if and operating it in a responsible manner. You will lose your license and you will lose your ability to drive. That is right. a privilege. Yeah, this is, and reptiles are no different in That's this particular situation. Right. Um, and, and firearms, fire. I believe Carl Persons has also brought this up. You know, yeah. yes, you know this that is mandated in the Bill of Rights, but there's still laws that you have to obey. Yeah, you still have certain things that you have to do. Just because something is legal does not mean that you should just be able to do anything and everything you want. If you want to continue maintaining it being legal, there is a certain responsibility factor that you have to obey. Otherwise, you will lose out, and this is exactly what we're doing right now. We are losing all of our rights, or damn it, here I go again. We are losing our privileges of being able to keep these animals because people just don't care. Are being people irresponsible, are being careless. Yeah, uh, it was brought up about the, a table there. I'm not going to name any names. Where right. they had venomous snakes and deli cups sitting at an edge of a table where kids were just going up and grabbing the deli cups. This was on video. Yeah, you know, and I I saw that comment. You know, and I saw the name, like you said, you know, not naming any names, but I saw, you know, who was doing it or who was said to be doing it. And, you know, I've never been to a venomous show, unfortunately, for myself, because, you know, that's one of the things I do want to go to. And evidently, from what I'm gathering from the people that are, you know, named individuals who have had venomous snakes since, you know, before you and I were even born, you know, and done these venomous shows. There's a certain way that the tables are set up to prevent that, and this is a normal practice that these tables are set up in a certain way to keep you know those snakes back from the public, unless that person is you know actually purchasing said venomous snake or what have you. And evidently, this was com- just completely thrown out the window at this last show. Um, you know, I don't know what exactly the details are. I don't know whether this was, they were in the process. They were trying to still get set up or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, what I have no idea the either. Details are, um, but I know uh, I have been to the Columbia show, and that's probably one of the better done venomous uh, shows that I, that I know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they uh, actually section off the venomous area, if, and you're only allowed in that area if you're at least eighteen. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, in that area, the, all of the the deli cups have to have red tape around the uh, the deli cups that have venomous, uh-huh. and all of the tables require netting across the front, so somebody just can't reach in and grab a deli cup with a venomous snake in it. Right. So right. now, me personally, I don't feel that um, I would like to see somebody try something a little bit more different, something a little bit more secure. But at least that's something, you know. At least it shows yeah. some being conscious. They actually had. Um, Actual venomous handlers being the the uh, um, 
they, they had people that were walking people through their uh, to the door with their venomous snakes. The people just could not buy a venomous snake. And oh wow! Them. Okay. They, they had to they buy the venomous snake. They would hold it aside, and then people would come back and have so, and somebody, an actual venomous handler, would take the deli cup with the venomous animal, walk them to the door, and then distribute it to them at their vehicle when they pulled it out of the front. So that it was a responsible way of being able to deal uh, with these types of situations. Right. I've heard that they've, they've had you know, hacked up uh, similar ways of, of doing it, but it were still fail, major failures. Um, but in this particular case of Pennsylvania, that, that was just the ball was totally dropped in that situation. And mm-hmm. it just so happens that the news crew just happened to be present, which uh, it, you, you never know when you're being watched. You never know when you yeah. have the eagle's eye on you at, at any given time. Yeah, and you know, and I really, the way that was portrayed, too, you know, was, you know, that this was an undercover reporter, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it was like, you know. It doesn't matter whether it was an undercover reporter. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like. It's a reporter, not an actual venomous snake keeper, so. If all it is is a reporter, whether it's undercover or not, by asking a couple of questions, I'm sure you would be able to... You would have figured out, you know... Yeah, you would be like, hey, this this person doesn't seem like they're a real keeper. Right. They don't seem to know, you know, and this is where asking a couple of questions... But the biggest problem is that this is what it boils down to. Yeah. They don't want to lose money. They, they, they fear that if they start asking questions, the person's going to walk away, and then they're going to lose some money. <sighs> but I'll tell you what, you know, which 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 one would you prefer... Lose a couple bucks here, or lose your rights or your your privileges later. It, you know, this yeah. is where you have to find the balance. This yeah. is where we've dropped the ball. It's all about money. It's about who can score the most cash. I understand everybody has bills to pay. If you don't sell animals, you don't sell. You don't have bills. If my if my personal recommendation, and if you want to make money, if you really want to pay your bills this way, I would recommend. The predominant number of animals that you sell, the predominant you know number of species that you have available, should be animals that are less likely to kill you. Right. I, you know, I that I can't really stress that anymore. You know, you don't want to make your entire living on an animal that does not make a good captive in the first place. Yeah, you and, know, because you wrote that article for you know Herpeticulture House magazine, and uh, you know as I was reading through it and I was inserting the photos, you know, I got to the point where you know. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how the question was phrased in the article, but you said something about, you know, would you be willing to handle this, you know, and I think it was only like a six foot, you know, crocodile or alligator or what have you. That alligator's about seven foot. Oh Um, my God. And that picture of that guy's hand, and I was just like, oh dear Lord, I was not ready for that. Yeah, and what people neglect, you know, especially when they're buying things like alligators, uh, venomous snakes. They look fun. They look easy. You know, and for a while, alligators are easy to handle. They're easy to house. Right. But what happens when it outgrows its welcome? You know, what happens then? Yeah. You know, so many. You know, the biggest problem is, you know, especially. And I, I was talking to my partner Israel about this. Our biggest conflict when we try to do crocodilian rescue, especially since we don't generate any type of income from this at all whatsoever, we don't we don't get donations. We don't. This is all pretty much out of pocket. Yeah. The biggest problem is is that it's not feasible to re- to truly run uh, an actual rescue. A lot of rescues that uh, that are are good reptile rescues, they unfortunately don't have the space to offer these animals, and they oftentimes ask for a donation to cover the expenses of shipping it down to Florida. Right. Um, when you have an alligator that goes for fifty dollars as a baby at some type of random herp show, and they're 
their dollar, the actual market value never really increases that much. I mean, down in Florida, if you, if you have a, a large American alligator, let's say it's a 12, 13 foot alligator, mm-hmm. you might be able to get a few hundred dollars out of it. Okay. This is that. That's about what their market value is for. Wow. Um, and the biggest problem with that is, is that when it's cost that much to ship a, a small one down to Florida, whether it be by crate or whatever the case might be, the market value is not adding up. Nobody wants to pay for it. So how do you find the balance? You know, it just it, it's basically a one even flow of money going out the other way. It doesn't. There's no way that you could ever really make your money back on it. As for other reptile rescue, you can rehome the animals. You can. Uh, ask for donation fee to cover, you know, veterinary expenses or whatever the case might be. An alligator it does not have that luxury. So when it's not really feasible to generate any income or anything of that nature with these animals, and the animal ultimately ends up losing out. Right. Um, and this is just another failure of the reptile community. They have decided that as long as they can sell it, they'll sell it and make money. They could care less on the consequences. And now we're reaping what we sow. Oh man, you know, and something else that's been brought up you know, across the social networks is, you know, which kind of got me fired up a little bit, you know, was everybody talking about, you know, oh well, you know, USR, you know, isn't doing, you know, isn't cutting the mustard basically is what they're point blank saying, and you know, my opinion on it is like, well, I don't see anybody else stepping up to the plate and doing a damn thing. I have my critiques of U.S. ARC. Oh, you know, sure, I'm not, sure. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, however, when it boils down to what else do we have? <laughs> exactly, uh, that's what I'm saying. That we have to look at. You know, if you want to critique somebody, try to do better. Yeah. Um, that's the way I look at it. You know, look I, in the I mirror. I my opinions, but I don't try to criticize them entirely and say, basically, you know what, you're not worth anything or anything of that nature. Because honestly, what else have we had? And they have had their successes. Yeah. So we have to give them that. They are. They can um, be successful in fighting for us. Right. But right. the whole point is, is that we, you know, if you want that to continue, you either have to try to get it, you know, in touch with, uh, with you know, with whether it be Andrew Wyatt or other members of USR to try mm-hmm. to, and, and tell them what your thoughts are, tell them your concerns. Do keep in mind that USR is essentially working for you as a hobbyist, and as long as you're sending in your membership fees, you have a right to voice your your opinion to them. Right. Um, you know, obviously, it's with everything else. Make sure that you are being respectful, and make sure that there is some basis to your argument. Yeah, uh, exactly. You can't just come in there and fly off the handle, and you know. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly it. And and what's so amazing is that you know this very um, that very statement is one of the things that somebody off of a specific uh, radio show not, uh, a couple of days ago was basically saying that we should do with our legislators. Right. Take no, walk in, you demand your respect, they work for you, yada, yada, yada. Right. You know what, do they work for us, essentially? Yeah. But they also work for a great many other Americans and other people within your community, and I can guarantee you they, out, they outnumber us by many. Yeah. They don't they... specifically work <laughs> That is, unless you hand them a damn paycheck directly, they don't work specifically for you. They work for the people, and if, if the majority of the people say, you know what, no, we don't like snakes, we don't want people having them, guess what? Guess what's going to happen? Exactly. So, you know, this approach is all wrong in all ways. Um, yeah. I fought lots of legislation locally and statewide, and we have never handled it in that way. Have I got a 
upset with a couple representatives, yes, mainly because they've said from very, you know, they would come up and they would say some disrespectful things to me and, and keepers, and I'm not going to sit by idly and just sit there and let them disrespect us that way. Right. But at the same time, you know, I don't get, you know, I'm not going to cussing them out or anything of that nature. You know, yeah. I might get a little uh, rough with my tone, but that's about it. And, you know, it does show them that we are serious and we do take what we do seriously and passionately. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's something you know. Unfortunately, you know, I was um, uh, recently made administrator of a group here uh, in the social networks, and you know, somebody came at me, you know, like you said, not necessarily disrespectfully, but you know, with kind of a tone that you know was could be taken as disrespectful. And my immediate reaction was to you know, basically like I would you know in a bar situation, you know, like who the hell do you think you are, you know? Let's take this outside, you know, and I, I was reminded by, you know, the other administrators that, hey, you know, you, you've got to, you know, do things in a different way now, you know, and I was like, Absolutely. okay, got it. Well, <laughs> have, know, to be, have to be respectful, have to be politically correct, and, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't suck to a point, absolutely, especially if No, it doesn't, and it does get a lot more and with that, we are going to cut this interview right there. Um, the next section will be up on uh, with a link in the show notes there for you, folks. I appreciate your patience. Right, be, be right back with you. <laughs> 